This week I've got some advice for you folks. If you're ever under a falling building and someone runs up and offers to pick you up and carry you to safety, don't think, don't pause, don't hesitate for a moment. Just spit in his eye. I have absolutely no idea what that means, but apparently it means we're going to Vermont. That's right, folks. This week we are taking on the holiday classic White Christmas right here on the movie musical Shakedown. Let's get it going. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention for This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. talent and see what we can do with it. You're going to make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Tommy, can you hear me? Happy holidays, ladies and gentlemen. I am really, really excited to be doing this podcast today. I mean, we are in peak holiday season right now um a lot of uh people are you know putting up their lights getting ready for christmas hanukkah's in full swing i mean it's it's just a great time of year and i have always been a christmas guy growing up i mean everybody has their favorite holidays people love halloween people love thanksgiving people love july 4th i am a christmas guy always have been always will be there's something about the christmas spirit that i absolutely love so anytime that I have an opportunity to do a holiday movie musical, um, I'm going to jump at the chance. And so why not kick things off with arguably one of the most iconic Christmas movie musicals of all time. And of course, I'm talking about 1954's White Christmas, starring the incomparable Bing Crosby, Rosemary Clooney, Danny Kaye, Vera Ellen, just to name a few. And... I am really excited to do this podcast today because I'm doing it with quite potentially the, the best podcast guest co-host one could ask for, maybe with the most beautiful. And of course, I'm talking about my wife, Nicole Peterson, who will be joining me in just a second to break things all, you know, White Christmas down. She loves this movie. Uh, this is an annual, you know, staple in her household and, and now our household. We just watched it the other night, laughed, got a little, you know, fuzzy. A little squishy. Um, but all in all, it was a good time. And really, really happy to break this thing down today. Again, I think for those families out there that have those movies in rotation of you will watch this at some point during the holiday season, White Christmas is right in there. So let's talk about some of the things about this film that are, I think are, are pretty interesting. Some factoids, break some stuff down. First of all, let's start with the synopsis. This is how it's described. Ready? So singers Bob Wallace and Phil Davis join sister act Betty and Judy Haynes to perform a Christmas show in rural Vermont. There, they run into General Waverly, the boys' commander from World War II, who they learn is having financial difficulties. His quaint country and is failing? So what's the foursome to do but plan a Yuletide miracle, a fun-filled musical extravaganza that's sure to put Waverly and his business in the black? Um... So that's that's the the basic synopsis, and it's accurate. I mean, I've we've seen some synopses that are not as accurate um, as as the actual film it is is itself, but this is actually uh, pretty accurate. So some facts about this movie, some cool trivia notes about this film and its casting and and whatnot. It was produced and distributed by Paramount Pictures, and actually the film is notable for being the first to be released in what's called VistaVision a widescreen process developed by Paramount that entailed using twice the surface area of standard 35mm film. This large area negative was used to yield finer-grained standard 35mm prints. I have no idea what that meant for the quality of the picture, but apparently it was pretty good. And it actually looked great, I won't lie. Uh, but this was a big deal. So this was the first to be used in VistaVision. So something I didn't know. Casting? Some pretty interesting things, of course. You've got... Bing Crosby, I, w- I would not say Bing Crosby at his peak. This is probably, I would say, five to ten years from his peak. And interestingly enough, this movie was intended to reunite Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire for their third Irving Berlin showcase musical. They had previously starred in Holiday Inn and Blue Skies, both in 1942 and 46. Both films featured the song White Christmas. So this is actually the third movie 
that Bing Crosby did that featured White Christmas. Astaire declined the project after reading the script. Apparently, he did not like the script and actually asked to be released from his contract from Paramount after that. And interestingly enough, Bing Crosby also left the project shortly thereafter to spend more time with his sons after the tragic passing of his wife, Dixie Lee. But however, near the end of 1953, Crosby returned to the project and Donald O'Connor was actually signed to replace Fred Astaire. But just as shooting was about to begin, Donald O'Connor had to drop out due to illness and was replaced by Danny Kaye, who often people get confused with each other. Um, And Danny Kaye actually asked for and received about a salary of $200,000 plus 10% of the gross. That's quite the deal for 1954. I'm not going to lie. Danny Kaye. Definitely thinking big bucks there. Good for him. Financially, the film was a partnership between Crosby and Irving Berlin, who shared half the profits, and Paramount, who got the other half. Some interesting other cast notes. Rosemary Clooney, you've got in this movie. Young Rosemary Clooney, 25 to be exact. Uh, 25-year age, age difference between her and Bing Crosby, which obviously, you know, looking back you know, now from 2018, probably not doing that too much in today's films, but uh, back then... Probably more of a standard thing, especially when you've got leading men like like Bing Crosby in a film. Uh, but you're probably not seeing a 25-year age difference between <laughs> love interests in a movie uh, nowadays. And then you've got Vera Ellen, who, phenomenal dancer in her day, uh, really is is the highlight of this film when it comes to choreography and dancing. And my wife, Nicole, who has a dancing background, knows a lot about this and has some really interesting notes on basically the wonders of, of Vera Allen in this movie, Vera Ellen in this movie. Um, some other interesting things about the songs in this, in this movie. Like I said before, this is the third movie in a row that Bing Crosby sang white Christmas in. So by 1954, people might've been, you know, either a little sick of him saying it or, you know, this is just what you do. You're Bing Crosby. You sing white Christmas. That's, that's what you do. But other songs that are in this film are actually were written for this film. So for instance, the song, what Can You Do With a General is actually written for an unproduced project called Stars on My Shoulders. Snow, the classic song Snow, was actually written for another movie musical called Call Me Madam, but it was put in here instead. So you've got some really interesting uh, musical notes in this film that kind of were all pieced together, so to speak. Some other interesting notes about this film that I just found out. The snow at the end of the film was actually asbestos. So again, probably not using that. Um, <laughs> in today's in today's production. But all in all, after the an interesting production, which we'll talk about a little bit about during the, the, the podcast with Nicole, the film actually did pretty well. It was the highest grossing film in nineteen fifty four. It made twelve million dollars. So that shows you how the you know pricing of films works, you know, back then and today. But again, you know, what's considered a success so to speak. But earned twelve million, highest grossing film in nineteen fifty four. Nominated for an Academy Award for Best Song, and uh, has gone on to become a a holiday classic, no doubt. There is not a single person that I've met uh, who, you know, typically doesn't have this on their radar during the holiday season in terms of movies that they watch during the holiday season. It's on constant play in the radio, so you know it's one of those few movies that is always available on Netflix, but somehow during November December they take it off. So you, you can't actually watch it anymore. Um, but thankfully you can right now. You can actually watch it on Netflix right this second, which I definitely encourage you to do before you listen to this podcast. So again, we're going to break things, a lot of things down. We're going to talk about, you know, obviously what we felt is, you know, great singing, dancing, design, who gets our awards, things that we probably are a little dated, but also things that are timeless about this film as well. But again, breaking it down with my wife, Nicole Peterson. Really looking forward to that. And she is going to be a constant staple on this podcast going forward as well. So we're going to get into all that. But first, here's the trailer. I never saw the sun shine so bright. Never saw things go so right. Notice in today's hurry and by when you're in love, my, my heart is fly. Lord help the mister who comes between me and my sister. And Lord help the sister. The two greatest figures in show business, Bing and Danny, as two ex-GIs who form the perfect partnership. Rosemary and Vera Ellen as the sisters who have them in a spin. 
With Dean Jagger as the unemployed general they take under their wing. Apparently, there's still quite a bit about show business I don't understand. Oh, it'll come to you, sir. Just takes time. We wouldn't be any good as generals. You weren't any good as privates. A wonderful story that will warm your hearts, just as the breathtaking scope of a new screen wonder will widen your eyes. White Christmas in Vista Vision. And you'll fall asleep, counting your blessings. And we're back. And I am now joined by, uh, as promised, the most beautiful uh, podcast co-host somebody could ask for. Of course, I'm talking about my wife, Miss Nicole Peterson. It's a pleasure to have you on this podcast for the first time ever. Hi. (laughs) I I will tell our viewers uh, and listeners that Nicole is a little nervous about being on her first podcast. Uh, And that's natural. That's natural. She's never done one of these before. But an avid listener. Of podcasts. Yes. Yes. So you've listened yes. to, so you know how these go. I do. Um, and, you know, they're not to be, you know, uh, anything nervous about, because we're just talking about a movie that we we both, well, you love, and I, I, do. I generally have positive feelings about it. <laughs> I'll go that far. <laughs> um, but let's kick things off by just asking straight up, when was the first time you saw this movie? Uh, my parents' living room sometime in the mid-90s. Uh, I don't know an actual date, but I've watched it almost annually since I was a young teen. So, so it's, a, it's an annual holiday tradition, and that's basically yes. what it is. And in the eager, and then Peter's. Oh, no, no, just for me. Oh, My family, you. after they watched it once, they were set for the rest of their lives. I watch it every year by myself. So it's a, it's a private viewing. Okay, <laughs> yeah. gotcha. Okay, gotcha. For me, I, was, I, I think the first time I saw this movie actually from start to finish was just after college. Uh, I really... In my youth, it was not a, a movie that um, I, I watched on an annual basis. Really knew you know much about other than its you know title number. But um, yeah, I would say it's the first time it was just after college. I probably fat, finally sat down and watched it uh, from start to finish. And I probably have only seen it really a, a handful of times since then. So it hasn't really become like an annual staple. Uh, well, it has now since I've been with you, mm-hmm. but you know um, before that. So now that you know. Now that you've watched it, because, you know, we did watch this movie a couple nights ago to get, you know, ready for this podcast. Anything, you know, new that kind of jumped out at you than not having seen it before or you didn't notice before? Um, Really, it just reiterated to me what a terrible dancer Bing Crosby is. (laughs) Um, I usually watch this movie just for the positives, for the things that make me feel happy and... Uh, filled with dancer joy while I'm watching it, but when I was actually looking at it from a more critical perspective, uh, Bing Crosby is a terrible dancer, and I think I'm going to have to fast forward through him in the, in the future. So, That's true. not not a, not a, uh, a high point of the film is any any time watching Bing Crosby dance. No, um, but what are your just your general thoughts? You know, on the film. If I was to ask you, like. In, in one sentence, two sentences, like your, just your overall impression of this film. Um, that it is dated, but still enjoyable. And I think if you go in with that knowledge that there are things that, you know, if this was coming out now, people would literally boo. Uh, <laughs> it's still a lot of fun to watch. I agree. It's 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 one of those films that... If I was to rank my top, you know, Christmas films, like you must watch these five Christmas films uh, each season, I don't know if this would be in my top five. Definitely my top ten. But it's just one of those interesting films that, you know, it's there are great things about it. There's not so great things about it. I think it's an overall. I mean, you know, people can differ on opinions. I think it's an overall above average film. Uh, with some serious lingering questions that I have about this one afterwards, <laughs> um, but and and some things that you know obviously you like you mentioned dated and, and possibly you know looking through it in a 2018 <laughs> racist lens. and offensive yeah like it's yeah it's, it's but then there's also things that I think are a little ahead of its time uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to a movie that came out in 1954. So um, yeah, I think overall it it would I call it a holiday classic? Yes, I think. It's probably remembered in in people's minds a lot better than 
potentially the reality of the film, so mm-hmm. to speak. But um, overall, good film, good film. Um, so let's move on to our, our you know rating system here at uh, at. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, slip the tongue there. I was about to mention another podcast that I do. Uh, let's move on to another rating system that we do here on this podcast, um, where you know, as with any movie musical, you need to have, I think, four strong elements kicking on on all cylinders in order to be a, a true masterful movie musical. And that, of course, is singing, dancing, acting, and design. So, what I want to do right now is go down each of these categories, and for both of us to give what we felt on a rating of 1 to 10, 1 being the worst, 10 being the best, of what we thought for the singing, dancing, acting, and design, and our reasons why. We can discuss each category as we go along. So let's start off with singing. So, Nicole, I will start with you. What did you rate the singing uh, alone in, in in White Christmas, 1 to 10, and why? Okay. So I have uh, actually two ratings. I know I'm already breaking rules, so I apologize. Oh, man. That's a terrible start so far. But since Uh, you're my wife, I'll I'll give you a, you know. So if we're counting the actual voices, the voices that we heard, I would give it a nine. Okay. Um, Rosemary Clooney and Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye all have beautiful voices. The person who sang for Vera Ellen has a beautiful voice. Which is still a mystery, by the way. Um, I know. Because we have, like, there's, m- like, mixed reports of of who actually dubbed her singing. Was it actually Rosemary Clooney? Was it actually um, someone else? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's, that seems to be a myth uh, up in the air. So with that said, for the voices that you heard, they're all lovely and they're beautiful and they're voices we recognize and love and it's part of the reason why I love this movie. Uh, however... Because one of the voices wasn't an actual voice of someone who is, you know, in this movie, poor Vera Ellen, like, I would say then that brings it down to, like, you know, a six because we have a big old question mark on what she actually sounds like. So it it is one of those, like, um, big mysteries. And, you know, I'd love to know what her actual voice sounds like. you know, as I said, if anybody does research, obviously the um, the big mystery is is whether it was Rosemary Clooney or Trudy Stevens uh, that actually did the voice for Vera Ellen singing. But um, it's still a good voice, which is nice. It is a good. It's for... very nice. The only can I make one? I have one little beef. Okay, <laughs> just one. Uh, all right, so I have several, several little beefs. beefs. Okay. <laughs> but uh, Bing Crosby, I feel like was just kind of like phoning it in a little bit he was just standing around doing his bing thing yeah that's so i mean again his voice is beautiful Mm -hmm. it's it's a beautiful voice but i mean he was just saying hey i'm bing i'm in my 50s right this is it i mean he was 51 at the time interestingly enough 25 years older than rosemary Clooney. rosemary Clooney was 26 when they made this Mm -hmm. movie so quite an age gap but yeah no we're definitely not getting peak bing crosby at all uh, definitely kind of at the downswing of his career, so to speak, um, or on the on the decline, on the, mm-hmm. the descent, if you will, from the peak. Um, but yeah, for me, I think overall voices, yeah, I'm going to probably give it like an eight or nine. I'm, mm-hmm. I'll probably settle on eight because I, I, I'm not, definitely you're not getting the, 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 that sweet, you know, just, you know, oozing voice that Bing Crosby had, you know, probably in the early 40s and late mm-hmm. 40s. Um, definitely a little aged at that point. And, and I think he definitely mailed it in mm-hmm. on a couple of things. He probably himself was probably sick of singing White Christmas at that point, too. <laughs> um, and I will say this. Of all the, the great things about Donald... Oh, oh, my gosh. You almost called him Donald O'Connor. I almost called him Donald, Donald O'Connor. And, and as I <laughs> mentioned before earlier in this podcast, there's a reason for that. But, um, you know, the reason... I, I mean, of all the things I think that are great about Danny Kaye, I, I think... He was an actor, dancer, singer. If that makes it, if that if that makes sense, I think that the singing it wasn't a bad voice, but I think when you compare it to his acting ability, it was magical. I, okay. Stop that. I mean, <laughs> I'm not a big you know Danny Kaye fan, but um, I think when you look at his dancing and his his dancing ability and his acting ability um, were were so great, and I think his voice was was good. I think it was a serviceable mm-hmm. voice for for musical theater and and uh, movie musicals of that era. So. Um, yeah, I think overall an eight. And I think I agree with you. I think the fact that Vera Allen did not actually sing in this movie definitely kind of 
you know, subtracts a point there for me. But again, whether it was Rosemary Clooney or Trudy Stevens, a nice replacement voice there mm-hmm. as well. And of course, I think Rosemary Clooney has one of the best, had one of the best singing voices of that era. Um, no, you know, it's beautiful. Just, um, I mean, yeah. I love it. I mean, and she does have some nice moments in this movie where she really does get to showcase, um, you know, that just absolutely incredible voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my particular favorite um, number of hers uh, was towards the end of the movie when Love she didn't do right by me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's a great. Mm-hmm. That's just a great song. Period. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean you could you know, it does fit in the context of the show in the movie a little bit, but I mean you could take that you know number out of the movie completely and just make it as a released single, and mm-hmm. I'd be like fine with it. I mean it's just it's a great great performance, um, and a great number overall. So again, I think I think I'm I'm right with you on the, the singing right there indeed. All right, mm-hmm. how about dancing now i i need to preface this folks <laughs> by telling you that my wife is a an accomplished dancer and choreographer that's that's her background well, she, she's done some amazing things um she is a award-winning choreographer and i can say that because <laughs> you've won you've won awards for your choreography for like best choreography and um she does teach at a, at a local studio here in connecticut called the dance corner plug um and and has for many years, and, and her dancers have done some amazing things. So when I say that, you know, her opinions on dance are coming from an educated, you know, background, I, I do mean it. She she knows what she's talking about. So for dancing, Nicole, what is your rating? One to ten. Okay, I have two ratings. Okay, Sorry. give me the two ratings. <laughs> well, column are a, we discussing a. choreography or execution? Oh God, you know, see, <laughs> these are the things that I don't really think about when making this podcast, but. You know, this is why I'm glad I have my wife here because she's thinking about execution. And, <laughs> and I took notes. So. <laughs> if, okay, I'll put it this way: if you can kind of blend, like, I think one score impacts the other. I'll put it that way. Yes. I think. So, so go ahead. Choreography by Robert Alton, pretty darn good. It has touches of Fosse. He so there's this rumor that Fosse is an uncredited choreographer. There are touches of him everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I could say, was it Fosse? Was it just the style of the times? Right. I don't know. Either way, I love it. Uh, so choreography, I would give it a nine. It is fun. Uh, the actual number choreography with the whole Martha Graham ripoff makes me laugh every single time. It's my favorite thing in the world. Um, and also, if we're really focusing on the dancer all right so execution is a really tough one Mm -hmm. i would give it like a six because we know rosemary clooney and bing crosby cannot dance correct uh they looked befuddled and they looked as though they were struggling bing crosby did the worst time steps i have actually ever seen in my life in the first like the first scene when they're uh fighting and they're doing their big song and dance at the beginning of the movie uh but Vera Ellen and Danny Kaye's duet is lovely and beautiful and fun. And Vera Ellen's tap is just amazing. And, like, her nerve taps and the control that she has, like, I feel like she gets overlooked a lot. So, choreography, what did I say? Not eight, I nine. You, I think you did. You give it a ten or nine? Did I, I don't remember. All right, I'm, I, I'm <laughs> gonna say you gave it a nine because you're okay. not. I don't think you believe in giving tens, so I'm gonna get. I'm gonna say you, you give it a nine. Well, I not unless everyone puts their heart in it, and oh, Bing <laughs> and Bing and Rosemary just didn't put their hearts into it. And execution is a six. There you go. All right. So for me, given the fact that I'm not an educate, I don't have an educated background in, in dance uh, and. I did not understand what a nerve tap is until you told me what it was just now. Um, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. I think the choreography was solid in this movie. And what's interesting about White Christmas is that you could probably take out every single dance number in this entire movie, and I don't think it takes away a lot from the actual film itself. I think it's just like one of those added features mm-hmm. of like, oh, by the way, here's some great dance numbers um, that. You know, we have to kind of create a, a show within a show to showcase in a way. So, um, with the exception of like that Danny Danny uh, Danny K uh, mm-hmm. Vera Ellen piece, there you know, there's not a lot of opportunities for dance in this actual movie. So it looks like they kind of had to throw those in there. Um, 
But to your point, I think, you know, the choreography is strong. I think the execution, I think you're right. I think the fact that it's so glaringly obvious that Bing Crosby and, and Rosemary Clooney are not dancers. And Rosemary Clooney has gone on to say that this would be a perfect movie if they just simply dubbed in her dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there there are moments where you're like, okay, that was that was really good. Like, obviously, a lot of the Vera Ellen stuff is great. The fact that she, you know, in that number where she's dancing with Danny Kaye, um, out on that, you know, outside mm-hmm. in Florida, Florida, quote unquote, Florida. <laughs> um, at the end, what's actually kind of cool is I, I just found this out recently that as she's doing this little turn thing around Danny Kay while he's on his knees, she actually trips over his feet. But uh-huh. instead of falling, um, she actually turns into this nice, like, little twirl dive into his arms. And again, that, that might have been choreographed that way, that might have been improv just mm-hmm. to save from a trip. Um, but either way, it's a seamless thing that you have to really look for to see the trip. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna say the I'm gonna say the education education the execution um, is I'm gonna give it a seven because I'm obviously I'm not looking for the technicalities and, and missteps that you that you see as someone who's you know, has a background in that mm-hmm. but um, yeah I think overall I think the dancing is, is is pretty good for a movie that's you know not really known for its dancing mm-hmm. so to speak um, all right let's move on acting how do you feel about the acting in this one Nicole <sighs> well all right so. All I can see with Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby is that they really, really, really wanted to be Donald O'Connor and Gene Kelly. Yes. But they couldn't be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Danny Kaye I love dearly and I think is awesome. And though schmaltzy, I feel like a lot of the fun of the movie falls on him. Mm -hmm. Um, And But their their chemistry just isn't, isn't the same. And Vera Ellen... I think she plays to the camera a lot, and I think uh, Rosemary Clooney is a uh, surprise actress. I mean, I feel like I don't expect her to be a good actress, but I enjoy watching her perform. Yeah, it's one of those films that, like, you could clearly see that, you know, Danny Kaye is, is, I think, the strongest overall actor Mm -hmm. in this movie. Um and that's been proven with all the other work that he's done. And you could also arguably say that some of the best actors in this movie are not even in the principal roles. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dean Jagger, who plays you know, General Waverly, mm-hmm. is fantastic in this movie. Yes. Um, like, you really do see there, there are nuances within that performance that are really, really strong. Um, Mary Wicks as Emma Allen. Is, is fantastic in this movie. Um, and I love Mary Wicks. I know. You only told me ten times. I, I am. I, Mary Wicks. I'm telling you, I ride with Mary Wicks. Um, she is, and I, it really comes from Sister Act. That's where I was kind of I introduced to her. But like, you know, and then she did The Hunchback for Notre Dame from for Disney. Um, she was in the original Music Man movie. I mean, I, I, I like I told you, I ride with Mary Wicks. Um, it's like she she turned from 17 years old to 40 overnight, and I love it. Well, for um, some of us, that's how it goes, Chris. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you did get – you got some really great, strong performances from the supporting cast. As with the principals, yeah, to your point, Vera Allen looks like she's reading off of cue cards this mm-hmm. entire movie. There, she's the dancer. She is a dancer, mm-hmm. and that's really all she did. Um, and that's not a knock on her. She's just not an actress or a singer. Um, same thing for Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby was never an actor um, either. Strong singer. Mm-hmm iconic voice i i don't think he's you know it's interesting he's you know now that we're in 2018 is his voice still as fantastic as we once you know thought it to be given how much we know about singing nowadays i don't know well i think his voice i mean it's hard to look at it from that perspective though because his voice is comforting and it's a it's a memory tool for so right it's a nostalgia thing it's not i i think going at it and saying picking it apart for skill is not necessarily a useful task right now because his voice evokes feeling in people for reasons that have nothing to do with his actual talent. Exactly. It's a, it's one of those things where I think it's Bing Crosby, the person rather than Bing Crosby, the instrument of voice, Mm -hmm. so to speak nowadays. But anyway, um, yeah, I think the acting in this movie, especially from its leads, not, not fantastic. So I'm going to give it like a six. I Mm -hmm. think it's, you know, Rosemary Clooney surprises you. It's still mm-hmm. not phenomenal, but it, she surprises you. Uh, Danny Kaye is basically carrying this movie acting-wise on his back, which mm-hmm. is a shame because he's not he doesn't have more screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like like I said, I think Bing Crosby, 
probably was doing this for a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it definitely seemed like he's probably getting paid, you know, a six-figure salary to do this film, um, and that's why he's there. So that's that's my standpoint on, mm-hmm. on, on the acting. Finally, design. Nicole, what are your thoughts on the design of this film? Costumes, uh, set, everything. So oftentimes they have the actors in coordinating color palettes, which I thought was interesting. By the way, folks, Nicole does have a fashion background as well. <laughs> Just want to throw that out there too. Continue. Uh, <clears throat> I thought that was interesting. And I feel like the... I, I don't know. I feel like it got a little haphazard towards the actual performance, like the costuming, like for their shows, not what they were wearing day to day. I feel like their day to day costumes sitting around the inn and all of that stuff um, were very reflective of their personalities and were fun. And uh, but when they actually started performing, they, they not all the colors work together. All right. Mm-hmm. So I know we're probably going to dig into the minstrel number later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that one. But let's just talk, I mean, red and green and purple and black. Like, it's just, it's jarring. And I don't know if it's because they were trying to take advantage of Technicolor and, you know, all of that and try and really wow you. But now looking at this on, you know, HG, eh, not HGTV, sorry, House Hunters, um, HD, like, it's, it's just a little bit too much for the eyeballs. So I right. would say... Real life clothes, awesome, fitting, fun, everything else, maybe just a little bit too much. Yeah, I think overall, I think the design is is strong. I think you know, obviously the the entire movie was basically filmed on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. I think, with the exception of the train station scenes, I don't, I can't think of a single like well, exterior I mean, it's shot. Very but, obvious that all yeah. the exteriors are backdrops. Right. I mean, right. But I I don't think other than the train station scenes. I don't think they shot a single scene outside. I think everything else is... I have to look... I have to go they back and look. They do a little... Like, they, they have a little uh, baseball chilling outside moment when they're having their heart-to-heart about the general not being accepted back into the army. Oh, that's right. That's right. I th- with, uh, with the exception of that, I think with, what, three scenes maybe in the mm-hmm. entire movie... I don't think a single shot was made outside. I don't think they actually... I think everything was inside and the studio space. The, the lovely, very convincing duet sequence with four palm trees. Oh, yeah. It's Florida. It's got to have palm trees and a beach. Um, but I think I think overall, I mean, given the fact that, yeah, a lot of movie musicals at this time were, were filmed on sound stages and sets, obviously the design had to be, you know, pretty good. Um, and I think for 1954 standards, I think it's a strong design. I think there's... There are some gorgeous sets in this movie. I think the exterior of the inn, mm-hmm. um, where you see like the, the the barn doors and stuff like that, that's a gorgeous, gorgeous set. Um, I think that the club that uh, with the horses, um, <laughs> what is it called, the Carousel Club, mm-hmm. um, really well designed as well. Um, so I think from a set design standpoint, it's very strong. I think costuming, yeah, I think to your point, I can see there's some pluses and minuses. I don't know color palettes and how they work necessarily. And how well, they just don't work think, as well I as mean, you do, but... Red and green are complementary colors. They're supposed to contrast in front of your eyes. Right. Right? So if you have an entire set made up of contrasting colors, your eyeballs are going to go like, ah. Right, right. <laughs> so I think overall... But and then, of course, at the end, you've got these iconic... What have become iconic, you know, those red outfits that look like you know, right. Santa garments uh, that they're wearing, which now are used <laughs> um, pretty much, you know, in every... Obviously, when they do this, the stage musical, those are, you know, what they bring out... Um, at the end, and I do have some lingering questions about that piece, by the way. Um, but yeah, those have become iconic <laughs> costumes. <it's> there, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But um, yeah, those have become iconic costumes. Like when you see people wearing costumes like that, you can immediately place them in White Christmas. So um, I think overall, my rating, I'm going to give it a seven. Um, I think overall for for design, I think that's I think that's a pretty mm-hmm. a, a good thing, especially for 1954 standards as well. Um, all right, so the next section. Numbers that we could do without. Now, granted, this movie, when it came out, was not based on a um, a previous musical, so we're not doing numbers that we needed necessarily, because, you know, obviously, you know, it's not um, one of those pieces that, mm-hmm. you know, would leave out scores and stuff like that. But anyway, there are a lot of songs and, and numbers in this movie. Um, 
Any that you feel we could do without? There is one obvious one, and we'll talk about that in, in detail. But yes. um, there are, for me, a couple others mm-hmm. that I think could qualify as well. So for you, what what are your or one or two? Um, so the – oh, my goodness. I can't read my own handwriting. This is terrible. Um. <laughs> well, let's, let's just start with the obvious one. Let's start with the obvious one. We both, we both pretty much agreed while we were watching this movie – that I'd rather see a minstrel show probably should not have been in this movie. No, and if you're just looking for a big, fun, showy dance number, there's so many other so things many other you ones. could do. And in a 2018 lens, and I would even say in a 1954 lens, like anything that praises a minstrel show... I mean, why couldn't they say a vaudeville show? Right. In that context, sung by a bunch of white people with not a single, you know, uh, any diversity in that cast whatsoever, it, it doesn't look good. And I, I don't think... You you sing that now, and I, I'd have to go back mm-hmm. and check, but I I've, I don't think that that um, number is actually in the stage show either, and I would be shocked if it is. And I'm just looking at the song list right now, and no, it's not. So that's clearly mm-hmm. when they were adapting this for the stage, they thought the same thing that you know maybe having a song called "I'd Rather See a Minstrel Show" probably not the best number. So that that would be my first mm-hmm. choice, but that, I think that's I think that's obvious given the you know the the timing of this movie and, and when it came out that that's probably the first number that you cut. But yeah, other numbers that you feel might, uh, you could probably do without. Count your blessings. Really? Yes. <clears throat> um, I thought it was a little lackluster for being towards the, the end of the show. It mm-hmm. needed a little bit more boom, especially because we know the show, the show is going to end. I keep calling it a show. You know, the film is going to end with a slow ballad. Right. So having another ballad right before that. And also, and maybe, again, I might be harboring some anti-Bing feelings. <laughs> but I just felt like he was a little condescending mm-hmm. when he was singing it. Like, well, you know, I know you're feeling bad, but your feelings don't count. This is what I do when I feel bad and my bad feelings just go away. Right? Right. Sorry. Again, right. I maybe I'm projecting anti-bing. my anti-bingness onto that song, but I felt like it was yeah. just unnecessary. I do think, but I'm kind of right where they're with you. I think there are a couple things that with Bing that you probably could have cut. And I don't know if there's like, you know, 1950s Hollywood and how it worked with contracts. If you had to, if you had to do a certain amount of songs in this movie. But like, for instance, what, what can you do with the general? The number that he sings on the Ed Harrison show, because um, <laughs> clearly they couldn't get you know put Sullivan in there, um, where he's basically saying like you know singing the plight of a retired general from the army of World mm-hmm. War II. Um, I, I think that that scene could probably have been executed with just lines of dialogue rather than having a song, and it's also not a really great song either it's not a, a well-written song to begin with so again i think it was just an opportunity just to have more of bing i think mm-hmm. it was just a, and obviously it was a kind of a general post-war type of song so clearly they were probably thinking that they could release this on a record and you know make right. this part of his repertoire but again it's just it doesn't fit i think necessarily in the entire scope of the, the movie uh, and clearly that i think the message could have been conveyed by lines of dialogue i also and i want to get your thoughts on this I also don't think you need to sing White Christmas at the beginning of this movie. Uh, I don't think you need to sing the entire song at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I don't think... So I have a, I have something to say about the male camaraderie in this movie mm-hmm. that I think it's very touching. And I think it's lovely to see the soldiers interacting with one another the way they do. And I think it's wonderful to see them paying such love and affection towards their general because I think that's so poo-pooed. Right. For, I mean, they say time and time again how much they love this man. And I think that just saying that in the film is a beautiful notion. Mm -hmm. And I feel like so many guys, and you can speak to this, don't want to say they love another dude. That's true. Even as friends. Right? And It's all my guy friends. I like you a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought it was just a beautiful sentiment. So Mm -hmm. I don't think it should be cut because I think it segues into really showing their relationship with the general and also their camaraderie. It makes sense for them to come back at the end. Mm -hmm. 
and have all those soldiers come back if we just zipped through the beginning then it wouldn't right. tie in well i think you i think you keep the the old man song at the beginning of the movie and also when they do their the reunion mm-hmm. at the show at the end i just don't i think when you have a movie called white christmas well why don't they come in on them singing white christmas so we get a line or two and then we don't need the whole song at the beginning but yeah i i that's that i think would be a good way of doing it too i just think that you know for a movie that's named white christmas Obviously, the song is going to be in the movie someplace. You know, make the audience wait for it at the end. I think when it comes at the end, when they're on the stage and singing it like that, it really and and the entire you know principal cast is basically singing it. Um, I think it's very effective at the end. Um, I just think I think when you're doing it at the beginning of the movie, you're trying to, you know, reminisce of how you know when Bing used to you know go on USO shows and would sing it over the radio during World War II to soldiers mm-hmm. that were overseas. You're trying to capture that moment in the context of how that song and why that song became so popular in the first place. Well, let me say this from a, a person who watched this, in again, first time in the 90s, is that I would have had no idea that this song was popular during that time mm. and didn't just come from this movie. As a kid, the having that connection at the beginning made it, seem realistic that everybody knew the song at the end right right and because otherwise i wouldn't have known that that's a good point all right moving on nicole what's timeless about this movie what's dated about this movie let's start Um, with timeless because i think let's start off let's start off with a positive timeless Mm -hmm. um i think rosemary clooney Mm -hmm. and everything she does in this movie for the most part is timeless um I think her attitudes about relationships and men may be a little bit dated, but I mean, everything else, her her styling, her role, all of that, I think she's kind of the shining thing Mm. that doesn't need to be changed. Mm I have a whole lot on my dated list. I know, right? I think, you know, I think... um, I think what else is... I think Bing Crosby's timeless. Um, I think his voice yeah. is timeless. I right. His casting, though, I think leaves much to be. Right. But I think I think just how, you're hearing that voice, hearing him sing, basically the number that he's remembered for the most, um, you know, 50 to 100 years from now, I mean, that people will still be playing that song during that during this season. So mm-hmm. they might not be watching the movie, but they'll know... White Christmas and, and, and how special that song is uh, to a lot of people. So mm-hmm. I think just I think that song, him singing that song, timeless. Yes. On that end. Okay. Dated? Uh, well, let me see. Anything else, <laughs> there, you ready? anything else timeless I can think about? Um, trying to think. I think you nailed it actually earlier when you said the camaraderie between people, you know, men and women that serve in the military. I think that's mm-hmm. something that's a real bond um, that is, is showcased very nicely in this film. I, I do think that I agree with you 100%. I think they do capture that um, really, really nicely uh, in this in this movie, is that, that camaraderie and that brotherhood and you know, sisterhood. I don't want to you know, discriminate. Oh, and also, I mean, all right, shout out to Danny Kaye because one of the first comments I have written is that Danny Kaye makes everything better. Mm-hmm. So, and granted, that was after seeing Ben Crosby dance, but <laughs> I think just, again, he's, <clears throat> That kind of uh, buddy best friend role. I mean, it's never going away. Right. And ha- he, I think he does it well. Yeah. So. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Moving on. What's dated? Okay. Because uh, there's a lot. Yes. Uh, let's see. How how old is Bing Crosby supposed to be? Question mark. Question mark. Question mark. Uh, he's as old as the general. Why is he? with Rosemary Clooney. Right. So the casting of him, I mean, not that that's really changed all that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, holy George yeah, you Clooney. Don't, you but... don't see a lot of those age gaps anymore. Yeah. No, but it's a massive age gap mm-hmm. and he looks older. Right. Um, so there's that. Let's see. Lots of jokes about men being effeminate just as being funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> the whole, you know, cross-dressing to have the them escape. The sister's song, yeah. I mean, yes, the trope for a moment is funny. I think, you know, them kind of disguising themselves. But really just the fact that they were acting 
effeminate was supposed to be the joke and mm-hmm. I don't think that is as funny um calling people dames uh Bing Crosby does a whole line about how he's going to describe how he's going to take all the women by the hair and uh oh, Jesus does, does he actually say that? Yes. I didn't catch that line oh my god <laughs> yeah when yeah, he finds out Danny well. Kay gives them the tickets to their room to sleep on the train mm-hmm. he's like when I see them I'm going to grab them by their hair and I'm going to and then they walk in so he doesn't get to finish his sentence oh, but yeah, yeah not cool um Let's see, Vera Ellen's pointy bra. Not, <laughs> not yeah, pointy aging bras. well. Pointy bras don't have an age well. Uh, let's see. Oh, and just the verbiage that they use for the other actors and people in the show. They call them kids. They call, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. there isn't that, there's no respect for the core or the community of actors. It's very hierarchical. Mm-hmm. And uh, two last things. The one Gene Hagen lookalike who I love. Uh, but they totally just stole that from Singing in the Rain. Like, there's no question. There's that blonde that just says absolutely random things. Mm-hmm. Um, totally stole that from Singing in the Rain. And right. lastly, uh, where did they keep the children? All right, so that's, that's a lingering question. We'll get okay, to, we'll the, get to that's lingering That's a lingering question, question but it is, dated, it is dated. They need a cute child at the end of the movie. It's true. Were <laughs> they in a box? You gotta get some kids in this movie. <laughs> Quickly. Um, yeah, I think I, I agree with all your points. I think for, for what's dated in this film, I think I think cross-country train travel is a little dated. I don't think anybody does yes. that much anymore. I don't, I don't think the Orlando to Rutland, Vermont line <laughs> is working anymore. Um, so that's the one I definitely saw that was like, yeah, that's probably not. I think dinner, supper, music clubs, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately going out of style. Which is a shame because I would die to go to one of those. I mean, well, I know there's a rainbow though, it's, room. It's the lifestyle York. though right. that's different because we are raising our own child. Yeah. In the fifties, you had someone else to raise your exactly. child, so we could go out and, to, and do dinner supper clubs. But yes, or you know, get all dinner and music up. dancing go clubs. Tap dancing. I mean, I know I know the rainbow room in New York is kind of one of the the, the few that are still operational as they were back in the day. Um, but that's a special occasion. It's right. not. And I'll be honest with you, my my obsession with these types of clubs really comes from. The Muppet, great, the great Muppet Caper, when, mm-hmm. when Kermit and, and Miss Piggy go out to you know on a date. So that's really where it started. But yeah, I think those sadly have gone out of style. Mm-hmm. Um, I think song and dance duo teams are probably going out of style. Style too. Like you don't see a lot of those. You know, I think vaudeville obviously is is gone, but also like, I just think like you know. Well, that's where it came singing from. Singing teams, yeah. You don't see a lot of like duos anymore. Um, you're doing like I think I think country music is probably mm-hmm. the last bastion of where it's popular but i think when it comes to pop acts and things like that you just don't see a lot of duos anymore so those that sister mm-hmm. gig is probably you know out of out of uh out hey, of time you're yeah. not still a fan of donnie and marie yeah not so much <laughs> not so much but hey they're gonna they're gonna be here you know in connecticut soon doing, doing new year's at the foxwoods so there you go oh get still, your tickets still kicking it exactly um so yeah, I think there's a lot of dated things. I think yeah, obviously the language in, in terms of how they refer to females in this mm-hmm. movie is a little <laughs> you can't can't do that anymore. Obviously. Um, oh, and then the minstrel number. And just, of course the minstrel number. Yeah. Just basically praising anything that's minstrel shows is just yeah you just don't want to do that in, a, in any type of 2018 lens. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's move on. So we got some awards to give, folks. Uh, as with all of our podcasts, at the end we give out three awards to these movies. Uh, the first is called the Barbara Award, which is who we feel is the best singer in this movie, named, of course, after Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. We also, on the flip side, have what's called the Russell Crowe Award, which is named after or named for the worst singer, or least great singer, I should say, um, in the movie. And that, of course, is named after Russell Crowe uh, from Les Mis. And then finally, and I know Nicole will truly appreciate this award, mm-hmm. we have what's called the Bumlet Award. And that is named for the character of Bumlet from the movie Newsies, the original movie, played by Dominic Lucero. Lucero? Lucero. Am I pronouncing his name right? You know what? You don't know. I don't know, because okay. I've only ever seen it written. So given my Italian upbringing, which, you know, a <laughs> that's a different podcast altogether, I'm going to say his name is Donald Lucero. Um, there you go. Uh, and the, if anybody's ever seen Newsies, the movie musical, um, you will be able to spot him pretty quickly. He's the best dancer He's in amazing. the entire movie, uh, especially in the number of King of New York, 
Mm-hmm. At the end, he's the guy that's doing those little twirl things on the fan, and then he lands and he grabs and he paper. He was in Roundhouse. He's just he's such yeah, an Nicole accomplished knows his dancer. career much more than I know. Um, but I'm I'm naming it after his character in Newsies. So the bumbler word that goes to basically the ensemble or supporting member of this cast that just crushes it left and right. That you cannot take your eyes off of them um, in any scene that they're in. So let's start with the Barber Award. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start this category by giving you my Barber Award. Um, Easy choice for me. It you goes can't to, give it to yourself. I can't give it to myself. <laughs> Easy choice for me, though, Rosemary Clooney. Rosemary yeah. Clooney had probably one of the best singing voices of the you know early part or mid part of the 20th century. Iconic, iconic voice. Um, I one could say that this she does some great work in this movie, but it's not nearly uh, you know her strongest vocal work she's ever done. Um, that comes you know a couple couple years on. Uh, I'm a big Rosemary Clooney fan. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> You know, again, from my Italian upbringing, you can't see him, but his he's gesticulating wildly. He's oh my got God. a flapping thing. This going was a, on. this was a vlog or a, on video. People would turn off immediately. Um, but yeah, Rosemary Clooney gets my barber award. How about you? Um, oh, your mom's calling. Oh my gosh! Silence that cell phone, please. <laughs> we're, we're, we're recording. Uh, I would also give it to Rosemary Clooney with a strong second to Danny Kaye. Mm. Now, only because I I forget that I enjoy his singing voice. I forget. That's why. There you go. All right. This is a tough choice. Who gets your Russell Crowe for this? <sighs> Bing Crosby. Oh, wait. Bad singer? Well, bad it's, singer. Either, it's either like who you feel is the worst singer or who you feel is the least great singer amongst the pack. Well, I'm going to have to say... Sadly, Vera Ellen, because we never get to know what her voice sounds like. But does she like. qualify? We, I don't ne- we know. never know what she actually sounds like. Well, so then maybe is it fake Jean Hagen? That's my choice then. Does she sing? I don't know. She talks though, and her she talking talks enough is. I mean, really, here's the problem with all the songs that are you know sung in this movie. Sang it's only movie, the four leading. It's only notes. the four leading actors, and you could make a case three. Right. So. So are you, you going to say Danny Kay? Well, here's the thing. Because right, I want to throw You've got, of the three people, of the three or four people that actually <laughs> sing in this movie, um, you've got Bing Crosby, who has one of the most iconic voices of all time. Mm-hmm. You have Rosemary Clooney, one of the most iconic voices of all time. You have either Rosemary Clooney or Trudy Stevens, mm-hmm. who do a great job of dubbing for Vera Allen. I gotta give it to Danny Kaye. No, I do. No, I mean, he's, but we've already identified no, that he's stop, the, he's the strongest actor in the bunch. Yes, but pause. Does joy count in any of your no? Because joy never, and we love know, that mean, he brings with if, his performance. If, if General Waverly or his granddaughter, or you know, obviously, if Mary Wicks sings a, a single line <laughs> of dialogue in this movie, she's getting the award because she just doesn't have a singing voice. Um, but like. <sighs> Of all the people that we actually hear sing a song, I'm not going to fight you on it, but right. I might make you might get a cold dinner tonight. Oh, <laughs> and, and Nicole's making a, a mean meat sauce, so that might be terrible. Um, so yeah, no, unfortunately, I, I got to give it. I got to give it to Danny Kay on this one because just because he's 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 up against uh-huh. giants, he's up against giants. He is um, a giant. It's almost unfair. <laughs> it's unfair, folks. But Danny Kay is getting my 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 Russell Crowe. All right, Nicole, who's your bum of the word? Uh, my, now, I understand in theory that this could also go to fake Jean Hagen because she was such a scene stealer, mm-hmm. but Vera Ellen. And for those of you who don't know, Jean Hagen is, um, from Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Who played, what, what's her role again? Do you remember off the top of your head? Um. I don't have the notes in front of me, so I'm not going to remember. But she, anyway, she's in Singing in the Rain. Mm-hmm. You know exactly what we're talking I about. I can't stand them. Exactly. <laughs> that in Singing in the Rain. Basically, they're trying to do that, you could say, is a knockoff. Uh, mm-hmm. in this movie but go ahead continue okay. who's your, who's your bum um vera ellen's dance partner and who also i think he plays the dance captain or choreographer for the show that they're putting on mm-hmm. um he is very talented he is rather handsome i think he is a very good partner to her and therefore is helping her shine in her dancing and he is in all of the major dance numbers and does a lovely job. And, and name, I could not... Just so you know, uh, his name is John Bras- Brascia? Brascia? Um, also a partner of Sid Charisse. 
Well, there you go. Longtime partner of centuries. Well, that makes sense. So he is a skilled and entertaining dancer, and I loved watching him. And honestly, when I go back and I rewatch this every year, I he's one of my favorite things about the movie. There you go. He's actually part of a a dance team called Brassia and Tybee, with his dancer wife Tybee Arfa. and they used to do opening acts for Frank Sinatra, Lena Horne, Tony Martin, George Burns, mm-hmm. and also appeared regularly on the Ed Sullivan Show. So there you go. So he's going to get your your Bumlet Award. For yes. me, ugh, it's a tough choice. I mean, I got to tell you, I, like I said, I ride with Mary Wicks. <laughs> like, any, anytime Mary Wicks is anything, I'm like, <laughs> I got such a love for this woman. It's unhealthy. Um but I think with if if I want to go even deeper, I might go with George Takaris, Academy Award winner George Takaris from West mm-hmm. Side Story, making an early period. That's true, and he's, he's doing... also a time traveler because he goes from Vermont to New York, like from, that, like that, like that. Um, <laughs> like he's he's there one night. <laughs> Rosemary Clooney travels by herself to go to the Carousel Club, and he just happens to be there as well. So there you go. Um, yeah, so I, I think, I mean, and he's so good. Like, the thing with George mm-hmm. Akaris is people forget how good of a dancer he actually is. And, um, yeah, so I'm going to have to give it to my boy George. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call him by we're on boy a first George. name. Yeah, but my, my boy George. We're on a first name basis. Um, is he your karma chameleon? Also, also the <laughs> landlord, Sig, Sig uh, Ruman, who plays the landlord, yes. who is so angry. Um <laughs> That the, the the sisters have skipped out on rent um, is incredible in that like two second scene. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Sig Ruman is, was a German American actor and and played a lot of bad guys. Um, but uh, he has like a I guess you could call it like a cameo because he was actually kind of a name um, back in the you know forties and and before that. So it's kind of like a like a hey is that Sig Ruman in the movie? Yeah, so there you go. So I'm gonna give it to I'm gonna give it to George Karras with a, a second place Sig Ruman as a landlord, and of course Mary Wicks just gets my vote every single just time. Just for the best Mary. Just for being <laughs> just for being Mary Wicks. Um, all right. Before we wrap up, Nicole, any lingering questions about this movie? Where are the children? Yeah, where do those where children do come they from? Keep the children. <laughs> we don't see any of the town that this movie takes place in. We just know it takes place in Vermont. But you see the train station, and then you're back at the inn. So there's no mm-hmm. outer town. So all of a sudden, these children just pop out of nowhere, um, and they're in the end of the movie. And and clearly, just by the looks on their faces, clearly the, the take that they used must have been like take number 20, because those kids look exhausted and fed up. Yes. They do not look like they're happy to be in a movie right now. Um, what does it mean to be a weird mobile? Yeah, what is that about? <laughs> so... Is it Bing Crosby that calls yes. Danny Kay a weird mobile? That's like a form of insult, a weird mobile. And I'm probably sure it's probably yeah. Nicole, Nicole really likes that line. I don't. Are those fighting words back in 1954? I don't know. Like, do I mean, like, I feel like I might be feel a little. Uh, I don't know. Complimented if someone called a, me weird, a weird mobile nowadays, but like back then, is it like, hey, if you call me that, we're we're going outside. Like, this is it. Like. This is written on your epitaph. Like, you called someone a weirdmobile, you're done. Um, um, I don't get that. I mean, no. that, that one is, how is that an insult? And part of me is thinking, like, if I really break down the translation of that, this is probably something really inappropriate and racist. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, is it normal to ask someone to kiss your foot before you leave the room? Yeah, okay, so <laughs> here's what you need, to, here's what you need to, to really look at. If you listen to the, the dialogues of Doris... Uh, who plays, you know, fake Jane Hagen. Poor, poor man's Jane Hagen. <laughs> um, her 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 lines are nonsense. Yes, they're, they're just nonsense. And she gets all angry when Bing Crosby <laughs> does not pay attention to her and says something along the lines of, "He like, didn't even kiss my foot. Didn't even kiss my foot. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> and if he did, how is that a good thing? I don't know. 1954. Yes. Uh, is a Christmas reunion cake a real thing? Yeah, I don't get that either. So the general comes out, his entire crew is there. They're basically there to, there really isn't like, this is not a celebrated occasion. It's not like this is a preset, 
Like, this is the anniversary of such and such date, or this is someone's birthday, or this is the grand opening of this inn. It's just a performance that surprised, like, it's a reunion. So, again, I don't understand why they brought out a cake. And it's a gigantic cake. Yes. Um, like, it's a three-tiered cake. I, I don't know. Um, how many taxis drive by the dressing room in Florida? Yeah, because, <laughs> and they just happen to be able to keep hopping out the window, and there's just a taxi just there. A taxi, perfectly timed, <laughs> right when they need to escape. Oh my God! Look, there's a taxi right outside this window. Let's go. All right, I have a lingering question for you, Nicole. Okay. What's this? What's the show about? Like the show that they're rehearsing. They actually, I think there's a title um, of the actual show. I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's like called Perfect Melodies or something like that, or something like that. But um, there's basically a. They're basically rehearsing a musical, and on the sign it does have music and lyrics by mm-hmm. the characters, Bing Crosby and, and Danny Kaye's characters. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what this this show's about, because if you look at the numbers that they're rehearsing, they have choreography, which mm-hmm. is a Martha Graham, you know... Which is my favorite. ...thing. They also have um, other dance numbers uh, in this as well, like Abraham, which is a, just a dance... It's just Vera Ellen mm-hmm. um, and her dance partner going you know, through it. And then it it ends with White Christmas. <laughs> so what is this show about? So I guess what they've just decided is that a couple songs about the army and White Christmas. Yeah, is, is Gee, I wish I was in the be. army. Like, is that part of the show? Yes. So that's part of the show, and everything else just got scrapped. It just wasn't good enough. I mean, I'm okay with them not doing the minstrel number, but I mean, and a minstrel number. <laughs> Like, why isn't love done me wrong in the show? That's like, I the really hope one. I really hope that the success of this show in Vermont was so good <laughs> that they transferred it to Broadway and audiences were like, what is this, this show about? <laughs> like, it starts off with people saying, man, I love minstrel shows. Then you've got this Martha Graham homage. Mm-hmm. Gee, I wish I was back in the army. Random dance numbers. And then White Christmas <laughs> as your finale with little children ballerinas. Yes. Such a weird show. Um... What other? What else do you have? So there is almost like a shot for shot singing in the rain montage in the beginning of the show. Yeah, is that was that a thing of the times? Did they you know just was that the easy way to do it, or were they just like singing in the rain did it best? Let's copy them. I don't know. Well, but I mean, singing in the rain is my favorite movie. I need to know these answers. <laughs> here's the thing. So singing in the rain came out two years before White Christmas. Day. Yes. And we all have basically recognized that Singing in the Rain is probably the greatest movie musical of all time, period. Um, <clears throat> so it's, I think it's no wonder that with any movie musical of that area, and I, I think I you know, have to probably look at some other ones from 52, 53, 54, around that range. There well, are probably a lot like, of homages to, to Singing in the Rain, yeah. I mean, even, all right, also, I guess I can't use American in Paris because that was also Gene Kelly. But they were able to show... A camaraderie and male relationships without needing to to use the same tropes over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Um, sorry. Do you think that this movie <laughs> could have been a sequel to Singing in the Rain? No, because there would have been a twenty-year time jump. No, that's true. Oh, that's right. Because yeah, that's right. I forgot what's yeah. Singing in the Rain takes place. <laughs> Back in the golden age of Hollywood. Sorry. No, they, it could be paired with an American in Paris, That's though, true. because it's both post-World War II. One's in Europe, one's in the United States. That's true. That's but true. we know American in Paris did it better. Yeah, we all know that. So. <laughs> um, any other lingering questions about this movie? Uh, no, I just the last thought is, like, tell your friends you love them. Like that is, is that, that, that's not, that is that a lingering question? That's like a lingering thought for me. Every thought. time I watch this movie, I just want to be like, why don't we tell our friends that we love them and sing to them more often? Oh, this is why I bring Nicole on this podcast. Nice <laughs> positive. Like when I'm trying to tear this movie down, she's like, you know what? Tell your friends you love them. Um, Give them a reunion cake. And <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let me ask you this. Final, final question, Nicole. Yes. Does this movie get a remake? Oh no! Does it oh. does it qualify in terms of the classic level of like you don't touch this movie? Well, I don't think a remake would work now because the romantic tropes aren't how people live their lives now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the buddy comedy aspect of it 
doesn't necessarily work in musical form the same way it used to. I mean, I feel like unless some sort of special magic happened, and I'm doing this with jazz hands, unless there was, with jazz hands. if there was some sort of special magic to to take away, I think I think you'd have to be able to suspend all disbelief and make this like a time travel movie. Right. You know, I don't think that this could exist now the way it did. And also, I think the the Christmas holiday reunion aspect post-war mm-hmm. is much more cynical now. Mm-hmm. You know, when people are coming home from war, the celebration isn't the same. So to recreate that feeling and that joy right. and that love i don't know if you could do that and yeah i think with post-war films nowadays you're probably concentrating more on the ptsd rather than the camaraderie so much so well and that's just yeah. it i mean i don't and i think the community is not rallying around people the same way too so i mean the the feeling of love and camaraderie that this movie so this movie just makes me feel squishy like we should just say that outright there you go <laughs> but i don't i don't know if that's something that you can recreate so it's a good point it's a good point yeah i don't think this is a movie that gets a remake because again i i think while you certainly could approve upon <clears throat> certain things and take out certain numbers um well also there's a jukebox musical quality about it too because yeah. there's i mean it's not the musical numbers aren't linear they're not helping to tell the story right so unless you're doing like a smash this takes place in a theater mm-hmm. type of thing you know how that's not going to read the same way and also i mean it has so many flaws that you know yeah. we can I'm acknowledge but overlook i'm with you yeah i don't think it gets a remake i think i think obviously with its stage adaptation that plays pretty much you know mm-hmm. every holiday a lot of Community theaters and regional theaters do this. It played on you know Broadway for a certain amount of time. It played in the West End. I think that's the best thing that you probably can mm-hmm. get from this. I think I wouldn't be surprised if like the Disney Channel does like a you know remake someday of this movie. <laughs> like it's just I mean, it's just too good for them not well, to do. Well, they did that with West Side Story. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just you know, nothing's. I mean I'll put it this way, folks: if West Side Story is getting a my... remake. <laughs> Anything's possible. I don't think I don't think you should, but I also think that there are things in this movie that you can definitely improve upon that could make a better movie mm-hmm. on a remake basis. But you know, who knows? We'll see. Well, that's gonna do it for us. Um, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on this podcast today. The first of many podcasts that Nicole will be on. Mm. So if you enjoyed having my <laughs> wife on this podcast as much as I did, because um, there's obviously a natural chemistry here of back and forth. Well, you did make it easy. I walked approximately seven feet from the couch to the kitchen. I table. know. Not much of a commute so. to get down here to the onstage blog network studios. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, really happy to have you here talking about a movie that you obviously love. Mm-hmm. Folks, just to give you a taste of what's to come, um, I know I, in the past I haven't announced, pre announced what movies that we're doing, but I can promise you in the next couple of weeks we're going to be doing Rent, we're going to be doing Carousel, we're going to be doing 1776. Just to name a few. And, of course, one of Sit Nicole's... Sit down, John. I know. <laughs> and one of Nicole's favorite, which I can guarantee you that Nicole will be back on for this episode, but we're going to be doing all that jazz Woo! soon, too. So uh, just a little taste of what's going to be coming here on the Movie Musical Shakedown. But thanks so much for listening to us uh, this week. I really appreciate it. And we will see you right here next week on the Movie Musical Shakedown. And in the end, should someone die? Ah, 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 ah. My own. I bet you want to know why I shot the bastard. You're fucking bad. I hold a PhD in horrible.